All right. Brother Henry Mahan told me one time, if they won't laugh with you, they won't cry with you. A lot of truth in that. So thank you for laughing. Join me in the book of Numbers chapter 10 this morning, the book of Numbers chapter 10, as we look at an ongoing study of the book of Numbers. These books of the Old Testament used to be flyover books for me. I've had several people here tell me that they were flyover books. And by that I meant when it came time to read through those on your daily Bible reading, they were a quick skim because what is here? Well, many years ago, a passage of scripture was brought to my attention from the book of Luke that the Lord declared unto his disciples, those two on the road to Emmaus, all the things concerning himself in the law of Moses, in the Psalms, and in the prophets. Did you know that that's what the Old Testament is about? And there were people there that understood when they read the Old Testament what that was about. I believe Moses understood what he was writing about to a degree. He had no faith, no hope, no trust in the law that was given from from Mount Sinai because the Lord had already worked a work of grace in his heart. We find over there in the book of Hebrews that by faith he left the king of Egypt and would not come under the rule of the king of Egypt because he would rather suffer indignities for the love of Christ than to be rich all the rest of his life. Faith did that. And whose faith? Well, we read one of the first verses that my wife taught me after I was married. I didn't even know it was there. Galatians. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the Faith that I now have, oh, before I get that all messed up, I used to be able to quote that. Galatians chapter 5, would you turn there with me? Verse 20. Maybe it's 2 in verse 20. Boy. Yes, 2 in verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's the new birth. Christ liveth in me. He never cleaned us up and made us a better person. He left us as he found us in that sense, but he gave us Christ, and that makes all the difference in the world. My goodness, when we spend time trying to clean ourselves up through progressive sanctification, all we're doing is working our way into a corner that we cannot get out of. We must be given the truth that Christ is our sanctification, that he is all and in all. goes on to say here, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now that's Moses. He lived by faith, but it was the faith of the Son of God. Now, he may have turned him as the Messiah. That doesn't matter. We use the same word today when we use the word Christ. One is Hebrew, one is Greek. Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, is Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. Well, let's go over here now into the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, excuse me, the book of Numbers, chapter 10. I only made mistakes like this 47 times while I was on my trip, so. (laughs) 
Numbers chapter 10, verse 33. We're going to read the last few verses of this chapter. We remember last time that we were together. We looked at this passage of scripture about the children of Israel leaving the Mount Sinai. And there was a cloud that rested upon the tabernacle by day and a fire by night. And as soon as that cloud or that fire moved, it was a sign to the children of Israel that it was time to move. He did not leave the decision up to the people. He took care of that for us. And I find no greater peace in this world, no greater rest in this world than to rest in Christ who is going to make those decisions for me. I don't have to wonder what to do. The word is going to tell me what to do. And so if it is a friend of mine said, I, I've been asked to go over here in Lakeview, Oregon to preach the gospel. And I says, it's never wrong to go preach the gospel. Now, if he hinders you, that's different, but it's never wrong. It says they departed from the mount of the Lord three days journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days journey to search out a resting place for them. That thought struck me as I was going through this passage of scripture. I was almost ready to go on to the next chapter when this passage struck me and then the next two verses struck me. So I hope we can get through these three verses of scripture today because in that passage of scripture, verse 33, it says to search out a resting place for them. To search out a resting place. Now this rest, uh, Brother Craig brought a message this last week about real rest. The real Sabbath. I'm not a day observer. I'm not a Sabbatarian. I don't worship a day. I worship a Savior. And that Savior has declared himself as my rest. Rest in Him. He is all our rest. He is truly what all the scriptures in the Old Testament shared with regards to a Sabbath. Rest. What did the Lord do? What did God do on the seventh day when He finished finished the work of creation? He rested. And He says to us in the New Testament that we're going to do the same thing when He saves us by His grace We're going to rest in him from our labors. Now, in religion, we just can't get enough done. But the Lord said when he saves us, he's taken care of all of the work. It is finished. Redemption is complete. Blood has been shed and applied. I have given myself for a people whose names were written down in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, And the Son of God promised to come and die on the cross for. He called him his sheep. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And the Holy Spirit has promised in the covenant of grace to go out and find every one of those lost sheep and bring them the gospel. Now he may bring them to the gospel or he may bring someone to them, but they're going to bring the gospel and God is going to save every one of his lost sheep for his glory, for his Great promise of grace. And he will give them rest. He settles them on this very thing 
that all my salvation is in Christ. He never called on me to do one work to earn it. And if I do, if I'm saying that I am earning part of my salvation by my works, he said, you do not have any salvation. That's what they will say on the left-hand side. When did we not do all these things? And those on the right-hand side who are called righteous said, when did we do these things? So God works everything out for his glory, for the purpose of the church, and he is determined from the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, to save them all. And in saving them, he gives them the most perfect rest. He gives them himself. He is at rest with the Father. He is at rest with the covenant of grace. And he gives us that great rest that all our sins were taken care of at the cross, paid for in full, rest in him. Now here we find some people that are searching out a resting place. Now we can see that. Three days traveling. I don't know if I've ever, maybe I have when I was first married, would travel for three days straight without spending some time in a motel because probably I didn't have any money to do it. These people are looking for the place that they would rest. But I would like to read a few places in the scriptures that share with us the same word for rest. And one of them was read for us this morning in the 23rd Psalm. He leadeth me beside the still waters is the same place, same word. There is a place of rest. He leads me beside the restful waters. They're no longer boisterous. They're no longer overwhelming. There's no longer religion telling us that we have to meet this standard. We find that we're completely at rest because God, He leads us to that rest. He puts us in that rest. He lets us lounge on Him, if you please, as John did. He lounged on the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the saints get to lounge upon him, rest upon him in his finished work. When he cried, it is finished, he really intended for that to be heard by all the church. It is finished. All the work is done. But would you turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8. In 1 Kings chapter 8, we have these words said, 1 Kings chapter 8, and there in verse, beginning with verse 54, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 54, as we think about all of these Israelites looking for that rest. Now, there were some that never, ever found it. We're going to read a passage of scripture that the Lord himself said, I swore they would not enter into rest. Why would he say that? Why would an all-loving God say that? Well, God loved Jacob. And he promised rest to Jacob and his descendants, spiritually speaking. But he said something about his brother that has jarred the teeth of natural man ever since and caused them to grate their teeth at the declaration of God. And when we grate our teeth against God's declaration, it is not a good sign. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now we have all kind of euphemisms about that. We order meatloaf and we get spam. You know, people have said that means he didn't love him as much. The word is throughout the scriptures, the same word that you and I use when we say I hate spinach. 
It is an internal feeling about something. And God had this feeling towards Esau. He had this uh, feeling towards this one that he never saw in grace. The only reason people go to hell is their sins were not paid for. They are sinners and they go through this life and their sin is caught up with them. Well, here we have in the book of Numbers, book of 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning with verse 54, that we have these words shared about rest. And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying, all this prayer, it's the dedication of the temple. This is a pretty long prayer. And he goes down through how glorious God has been to the church. How he displayed that glory in the glory of the temple. Now we're not to worship that temple. That temple is Christ. That rock is Christ. That water is Christ. That hope is Christ. That brazen serpent is Christ. All of those things point to us. Point to Christ. He said here, after praying and the supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread to heaven, and he stood up and blessed the congregation of Israel with a loud saying, Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be Jehovah. Oh, what a word it is to hear this man say blessed, but how greater it is to hear the Lord say blessed as we read in the Beatitudes. Those are not works that we can accomplish. Those are works that God has already accomplished on our behalf. Blessed is the peacemaker. My goodness, who's the true peacemaker? The one that gave us peace with the Father. There is peace now with the Father. Blood of Jesus Christ has purchased peace with the Father. He's the true peacemaker. Now we may exercise that in our life, and we are to in our Christian walk, is to exercise peace. But notice here, it goes on, the Lord, blessed be the Lord that hath given us rest. He hath given rest unto his people Israel. You know, when they entered in and Solomon came to the throne, the reason his dad, it was mentioned, the reason his dad could not build that is he was a man of war. Now there needs to be those guys. But we also see that in that son, he brought peace and the enemies did not come up against them, and every man was at rest under their vine. And he recognized where that rest came from. Oh, to know where our rest comes from. That it's not by our efforts, and it's not by our works of righteousness, but our peace comes, our rest comes from God Almighty. He's the one that settles the water. He's the one that puts us at peace. He's the one that deals with us in righteousness. He's the one that deals with us in all of those things. He's the one that brings us to rest with Jesus Christ and to rest with God the Father and at rest with the Holy Spirit. He's the one, as it goes on to say here, blessed be the God that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. You know, the covenant of grace has many promises in it and every one is for the church. Though we may not understand them, and though we may not by personally claimed all of them, they're given to us nonetheless. They're our inheritance. And as time goes on and he opens the word up to us, we see more and more of those great promises, and more and more we are at rest with God for a finished work. We don't have to go around trying to get something done. Now the people that are serving God because of love is much different than serving God out of law. 
to serve God out of love, out of respect, out of honor. I heard while I was gone, someone had said, you know, this man said to his mother-in-law, I serve God out of love. And he says, how can you do that? I'm serving him out of for rewards. I know, I've been there. That's the wrong motive. There hath not failed one word of all the good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. You know what one thing he promised to national Israel? That you will get all of the land and hear Joshua twice Solomon twice brings this up that he gave them everything he promised and man comes along and says, no, he didn't. I'm going to take God's side. I'll just believe God when he said he gave them all. All the promises he gave. Now, when it comes to spiritual things, he gave us all the promises of the covenant of grace. We may not comprehend them all. We don't understand them all, but they are all ours by inheritance. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. He cannot leave his people nor forsake them. National Israel he could, but his church he cannot. He has much on the line with this. Now, remember what we read over there in the Psalm, Psalm 23? He leadeth me beside the restful waters, the still waters. That's where God leads his people. Even in perilous, troublous times. You know, I had to apologize to Brother Mike this morning. I sent a text during his message. A lady called me yesterday and she is in... Her son has been diagnosed again with some problems. He's 16 or 17 years old. Four years. He was four years old diagnosed. He's 16 or 18 now. Lots of trouble going on. And, you know, I sent her that passage of Scripture over there in the book of John where the disciples said, Who did sin? Him or his parents? You know what Jesus said? This is all manifest that the works of God might be worked. We don't know why things happen to us, but I know this. For the church, they work out before the manifestation of the work of God. Sit down, be at rest. He's at the helm. In the book of the Psalms, Psalm 95, as we think of the children of Israel looking for a place of rest, God would soon give them a place in fact, I think it's the 31st chapter of the book of, of Numbers we're going to, or Deuteronomy. We're going to read all of the places that they sat down and spent some time as they got over to Padanaram. But in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 95, would you turn there with me for just a short reading? In the book of Psalms, Psalm 95, we have here some glorious words that the Lord had shared with his people, his church, all through time. From the time this was written... God's people have been comforted by it. And before, the principle comforted them. There was a man, the first man that we read of, that entered into glory, 
Abel by name was comforted by the same God that you and I are comforted and by the same word that we're comforted by, even though it wasn't written down. He put it on his heart, just like he promised everyone. I'll put my word in your heart. I will comfort you there. In Psalm 95, oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. What's that mean? God loves to hear his word. (laughs) He loves us to use his psalms. For the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. And in his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his. He made it all. His hands formed the dry land. You know, so many people will agree with these words when it comes to the natural things, the natural creation. But let's turn this around for just a moment and see if you understand what it means to be spiritually created by the same hands of God. It must be his creation. We cannot create ourselves. No more than we can create a a grain of salt. No more than we can create an atom of oxygen. We are unable, just because of our nature, to do anything like that. But this God is able to do that. And beside that, when it comes to spiritual things, the natural man receiveth not the things of God. He will not believe God. He will not trust God until God gives him the grace to do that. So we are at his mercy. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. He's going back over just a little bit of Israeli history. I took them through that land and they... The very next chapter of the book of Numbers, they complained. The very next chapter, very first verse of the next chapter, they complained. There were some that didn't. Some trusted the Lord with all their salvation. Harden not your heart, as in the provocation, or as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. What a description about these people that were in the most favored nation status of anybody that has ever been on this earth. You and I, as a country, never saw water come from a rock. You and I, as a country, never saw the manna fall from the skies. You and I never, as a country, were blessed with all of the, the quail we could consume. You and I were never blessed as a country like these people were, and yet we see after all of that, they still did not see God. Forty years long was I grieved with this nation. He tells us in the book of Deuteronomy, I did not give you a heart to believe. That makes all the difference in the world. If God gives us a heart to believe, we will. If he doesn't, we won't. 
He said in verse 11, Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. What did he say there? Without me, you'll never go to heaven. Without me, you'll never be in glory. Without me doing all the work, you'll never see God. Without me, I will not let you enter into my rest. On your own righteousness. Turn, if you would, over to the book of Isaiah chapter 10. To enter into this rest. Isaiah chapter 10, if you join me there. Isaiah chapter 10. Excuse me, chapter 11, verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Who's that? Who's the root of Jesse? Who is that root out of dry ground that Isaiah mentions? Isaiah mentioned in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. What's that mean? He's our flag. He's the one we gather around. He's the one we come to. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. No longer Odin. (laughs) That's what the Gentiles worship. No longer Saturn. No longer moon. The moon. No longer Thor's day. Most of our names of our months and the names of our weeks, the days of the week are all pagan gods. And I don't use those pagan gods to worship. That's just what we live by, isn't it? But I don't worship those folks. I get to worship the King of Glory. I get to rest in the King of Glory because He came and gave me the new birth. You know, as we look back over there to the book of Numbers chapter 10, there's many other verses in the scripture that share about rest, but I want to go back to the book of Numbers chapter 10 and notice there what Moses did. The last words of that chapter. Now, I realize that chapter divisions were provided for us and it makes it much easier than if we didn't have them. Verse divisions were put there by man. Chapter divisions were put there by man except for the Psalms. I'm thankful they're there. It makes it much easier to find the place, doesn't it? Well, here in the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 35 and 36, we read these words. And it came to pass, when the ark set forward, that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thy enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. Now that's a prayer. Moses prayed. He prayed this. Now he prayed this knowing the God that he prayed to. We could go over to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and read about by faith Moses what he did. And we can go to the book of Galatians, as we just did, and read about, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
This is the one that Moses was in tune with that came while Moses was somewhere in his life and the gospel came to him somewhere in his life and God regenerated him sometime in his life and it wasn't a time that we ever find record of because that is not the necessary part is to remember a day. It is required of us to remember a person. Who saved you? Who saved you? If Christ saved you, we don't need a day. If we need a day, we probably don't know Christ. Hear Moses' prayer. You know, I read somewhere that there are about 650 recorded prayers in the Bible. 650 times someone raised their voice to God. The longest prayer is recorded in the book of Nehemiah. It's 1,213 words long. And the longest prayer the Lord ever prayed, recorded prayer, takes three minutes to read. John chapter 17. His great high priestly prayer can be read in three minutes. And everything in there takes centuries to describe. We can't come to the end of it talking about his great work of grace, his sheep that he came to die for, the ones that the Father gave him, those I come to save, on and on it goes down through there. What a blessing it is that we can read in that passage of Scripture about the great works of God. Peter prayed a prayer one time that's three words long. Lord, save me. Three words. How did the Lord respond? Saved him. Lifted him out of the water. You know, prayer is given to us by God. We cannot create it. I was talking to that same lady last night and I said, we know not how to pray as we ought. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray about a situation. We don't know how God would lead us to pray about a situation. But there is one that knows how. We know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit, the Spirit maketh intercession for us. You know, you just think that praying to God, talking to God would be the easiest thing that we could possibly do. But even in that, we are necessarily dependent upon the Spirit for our presentation of our prayers we can't even pray properly we can't do anything our sin is so overwhelming that where it's necessary when we are going to have a prayer brought to the very throne room of God it is brought by the Holy Spirit the Spirit makes groanings which cannot be uttered and presents them now that does not mean gibberish speech that means there's conversation between the Father and the, the Holy Spirit and the Father on my behalf. Blood of Christ covers them, sinners they be, but He makes intercession for us. You know, there's another short prayer in the Scriptures, just as powerful as that one that Moses prayed. It was prayed by a publican. It's very short too. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what the response by the Lord to that was? That man went down to his house justified. 
What's that mean? He was just before God. Sin had been put away. He couldn't pray that prayer unless that had happened. And you know his counterpart just across the aisle there in the temple or the outside of the temple there when he prayed? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men are. Did he go down to his house justified? Absolutely not. He went down being recognized by his fellow man as a man that could pray a good prayer. But that publican recognized his position before God, and we cannot and we will not recognize our position before God unless it's revealed to us in regeneration. Then he shall let us know. He will give us a new heart. Then we shall know where we stand before God. Would you turn over to the book of 2 Chronicles? 2 Chronicles. There's a man, a king, is in a great deal of trouble. 2 Chronicles. He's in a great deal of trouble because there are some enemies of the church have come up against him. Enemies of Israel have come up against him. Now, every enemy that ever came up against the church was taken care of at the cross. Not with our help. I've had people say, I'm in a warfare against the devil. What? Only one has ever been in warfare against the devil in one. And it's recorded in the book of Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's our only, I plead the blood. Accuse me all you want. He is the accuser of the brethren, but I plead the blood of Christ. And you know what? I have a, Someone sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 11, we have these words. By a king, Asa, cried unto the Lord, his God. Look at that. His God. He had some knowledge about this God. He had some understanding about this God. He had some understanding that this God is almighty and great. He cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, that's Jehovah, it is nothing for thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord, thou art our God, let no man prevail against thee. Did you notice that? Let no man prevail against me, no, against thee. <laughs> let no man prevail against thee. Now he recognized the being that no man prevailed against. The great God of heaven. So the Lord, look at, look at the next verse. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and they fled. Prayer, the answer to prayer, and resting in God. What a promise. In Elisha's prayer, turn with me to the first Kings, if you would. First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18, verse 36. We have these words that that uh, Elijah prayed at that great, we call it the test with the prophets of Baal. It's no test. Never was a test. There are a bunch of near-do-wells coming up against an almighty God. 
Religion is not in a contest with God. I remember Brother Wayne sharing with me, and I did the same thing. God's voting for you. The devil's voting against you. Now it's up to you to make your own mind up. No lie greater ever been created by religion. Because we find right here that this is God demonstrating his power. The others, there was no power. They had nothing. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God, oh, the covenant God, the one that reaches back to the covenant of grace, the one that reaches to eternity, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that, that, that I have done all these things at thy word. I didn't create this. This is what you told me. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the bird's sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You know when that happened spiritually? On the cross. Everything. God consumed everything to put away our sin. There's nothing down in the trenches, nothing soaked into the ground, Nothing around, no sin to be hidden, nothing put off in a corner somewhere. They were completely consumed as Jesus Christ was consumed on the cross by the wrath of God. And the people said, Amen. Amen. John's prayer in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20, it is five words long. The church all through the ages have had this prayer. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. It was written in the prophets. Turn with me in closing to John chapter 6 and verse 45. John chapter 6 and verse 45. How did Moses pray the prayer that he did? How did it? How was it written that uh, they're going to? They're looking for rest, and then we find there's rest in Christ. Verse forty-five of John chapter six. It is written in the prophets that they shall be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. That. Who, who unclogs the spiritual ear? Or who gives, let's just put it this way, it's not unclogging, who is creating the spiritual ear? And who teaches a mind that's been dead in trespasses and sin? Every man that therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. There is some education to be given. We cannot come up with it on our own. And Moses, as he prayed there at the close of that chapter, said, Lord, scatter all the enemies. 
and settle us down when we get to our camping place. The Lord has scattered all our enemies, put them to death, and makes us to rest at our camping ground. Brother Mike.